What's going on? What's up, brother? Good, man. How you doing? I'm good, man. I'm, I'm, do I need to adjust my uh, phone any? Yeah, that's perfect. Appreciate you for uh, taking the time out for this. Hey, my pleasure, man. Thank you for having me. How you doing? Absolutely. Hey, man, you got the history, you got the knowledge, and we just want to pick your brain. And then whatever you can uh, share with us, we're, 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 we're taking it. <laughs> cool. Let's do it. Let's do it, man. But, yeah, thank you for having me, man. Um, you know, it ain't like I got something else to do right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> nah. So we might as well talk R&B. But uh, right. just want to get started here. So... Obviously, a lot of people know, or a lot of people might not know, you guys, you and Tim, started out under Dallas Austin. So take me through this. Your first time seeing Dallas work and realizing that's the level we need to get to. Like, what was that experience like? Man, it was crazy. Like, first of all, shout out to Dallas. Shout out to TK. Shout out to Tim Kelly. Um, it was crazy, man, because... It was such a humbling moment, and Tim will know what I'm talking about. That first night, we walked in Dallas Studios, and we sat in the studio, and he had just did a song on an artist named Tracy Spencer. A lot of guys, anybody younger than probably 30 don't know who Tracy Spencer is, but, you know, right. very popular singer in the, uh, in the 90s. Um, but he had just did this record on her that was so phenomenal, like, it was just the sickest thing ever. And we was just sitting in the studio like, wow, this this the big leagues right here. Mm-hmm. But that was the the first night we met Dallas when he, he, he like, pressed play and just, you know, showed us. This is after we went through meeting him and playing him songs and stuff and all that. And that in itself was a, a story all on its own. But um, when we finally, you know, um, had a couple conversations and then began to sit in on the sessions, I'll never forget, I was sitting there when he he was doing the track for Creep. And, man, it was crazy because he was sitting there doing the, he's sitting there on the NPC doing the track, you know, do, 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 do. I'm like, wow, this is nothing. And he was like, <laughs> yeah, and he was like, now this is 1990, yeah, it's 1993. And and then Dallas was just sitting there like, yeah, man, it's going to be an record. I already got, I already got what I'm about to write. And he just sat there and wrote up. That's what, you know, that's what we always love about Dallas. He's 100% like he writes everything as well. And that's, you know, that's the school we come from. You know, we consider all of it the same thing, playing all the instruments, doing all the vocal production, all the vocal arrangements, writing all the lyrics, everything. Like we, we you know, that's how we always, you know, saw producing. And so, um, so to sit there and see him do it, it was crazy, man. Like, it was absolutely crazy, and for yeah. where, and for where music was at that time, and that track that he did, and just the way he wrote it, like, you know, I you know I personally have learned so much from Dallas, you know, being under him like as a writer, and just so many things, you know, um, that I've taken with me, and I'm sure Tim has done the same thing too. Like one one thing specifically I learned from Dallas. He always make his verses as dope as his hooks. Mm, yep. um, he always makes his verses as memorable as the hooks, and like that's something I always notice about his writing. Yep. So, um, so to sit up under him each day and um, and the, the 
the artist that he was working with, like when we first signed with him, you know, he had just signed on to do um, Hall and Oates, Lionel Richie. Um, I mean, countless people besides like TLC boys. I mean, he was. I mean. I mean, Mick Jagger was coming to the to his crib like it was just crazy. Like, but and I, I think people really sleep on Dallas these days. Like, mm -hmm. and the things that he's done, and you know, Dallas is that dude, man. And so uh, much respect to him. But it was it yeah. was amazing, you know, being able to come in the game under a guy like him who was at the top of his game. So it was it was a wonderful experience, man. Very grateful for it. Yeah, Dallas is a one-man band. He can do it all. So you got to yeah. give him some respect for that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So Don't sleep on Dallas. Don't sleep on his, on his discography, man. Like, man. And so, um, yeah, much respect to Dallas, though. Yeah. So one of the earlier placements that you guys have as Tim and Bob, you guys are co-producing with Dallas. You guys on the Prince cover, uh, Get It Up by TLC. You guys have credits on that yeah. one. So during that time, you, yeah, you guys are still new in the game. So just take me through, you know, in the studio, how, how, how much are you guys putting into that song? Is Dallas taking the lead or are you guys taking the lead? Like just take me through the early days and the process behind that. For that, that song specifically, Get It Up? Yeah, or just even the earlier days. It was cool because um, it was like maybe within the first month or two that we were actually like, actually working under his team. And so uh, so this is like February 93, February, March 93. He just came in the room one day and was like, hey man, um, I'm gonna have an engineer pull up this song that I had started to do on TLC, but I don't, I don't really like what I did, man. I wanna hear what you guys do. I want you guys to do this. And he pressed play and it was like, what? And so, and cause I'm just gonna be honest, Dallas had did a dope version of it. But he, right. he was just like, oh, I don't really like it. Let me see what you guys do. And so um, from what I can remember, I can't remember if Tim did the beat over or not, but we did a lot of the instrumentation. Of, we kept like a couple things that Dallas did on the keys, like a couple melodies I remember that we, we kept. And excuse my memory, man, this is like 20, <laughs> like it's all good. seven years ago. And so, um, but yeah, man, it was, it was a, an amazing experience, man. And um, it's crazy because we had, um, we had a similar experience, even though Dallas wasn't involved in this particular record, but it was around the same time um, where we got the opportunity to do uh, Tina Turner, I Don't Want to mm. Remix. And, and that was crazy too, because it was literally probably within, the, the, within two weeks that we did get it up um mm. we we were able to do um because they would just come in and tell us what we were doing okay y'all gonna do this or we got this group coming in y'all gonna do this um dallas right. dave gates at the time who was running all of dallas's um you know he was running everything at the studio and so dave would just come in and be like okay y'all doing this doing this, doing this and so he came in and was like okay we got tina turner remix for you i was like what what did you say <laughs> and and so then so to like have the tapes there and have her original vocals there and and they just say okay y'all just just remix this song and so um you know we we did a remix and we we wasn't we didn't know if they was because we we were so green at that time we didn't know how everything went you know this is our first two months living in atlanta 
And so, um, so we did, we did the track or whatever. And I never forget, uh, probably two months later, like a random night, Tim's mom called him. It was like, this, did you, is this a song y'all did? And she played the song and it was the remix we had did. Mm -hmm. She's in Peoria, Illinois. And so, um, so we was freaking out, crying and everything. Cause that's the first time we ever heard our music being on the radio. Right. Tim's mom called us and um, I Don't Want to Fight was, was playing on the radio in Peoria, Illinois. And we was just like, whoa, this is crazy. <laughs> it was a crazy, it was a crazy experience, man. But man, so many memories, wonderful memories, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Starting off like that, man, it's, it was cool. It's, it's cool to go back and talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. And even and then in the early days, I think Mario Winans was involved as well. Yeah, how Mario, it's, it's cool how that happened because um, the reason we even went to Detroit was because I had moved to Detroit when I was 19. I, I got offered, you know, at the time was a, a chance of a lifetime, and that was to play organ at Aretha Franklin's father's church, which is like the pinnacle of, you know, uh, gospel, you know, uh, it, it's kind of like, Aretha's father was like the T.D. Jakes of the 60s and 70s. He, oh, wow. he was he was looked at like at that type of regard. And so, um, you know, when I was nine, I think when I was 18 and 19, I went to New York to visit my uh, my parents and my dad is a pastor of a church. And, you know, that's how I got invited to go to Detroit. And so I, I moved to Detroit when I was 19. And at the time, me and Tim still had this dream of like, you know, making it as producers, it was just like, because Tim actually went down to New Orleans, because Tim was in New Orleans for a while, and he was in St. Louis, and so then I had went to Syracuse, and then I then I went to, I was in Syracuse, New York for about two months, and I ended up moving straight to Detroit, and this is in 91, and so uh, I lived in Detroit for two years, and then ended up meeting these people in Detroit that had a studio, nice studio, a lot of history, a lot of Motown history, and so the short version of the story is they, they brought Tim up and they was just like, okay, you guys, you know, do your thing. And they didn't have a lot of contacts at the time in terms of in the business. They had a lot of con contacts around Detroit and they knew a lot of people back from the Motown era. And so, um, so how, how uh, Mario came into the picture was, um, you know, at that time in Detroit, all the musicians, like, you know, I, I ended up meeting a ton of, amazing musicians and and mario was one of it's funny i'm stopping myself from calling him skeeter because that's what everyone affectionately calls Mario. <laughs> so uh you know i ended up meeting uh mario because i would go over to his father's church at the time uh mario wine's church perfected praise and so i would sit in with the musicians there and then that's how it kind of like next thing you know it's like yo you should come by the studio and uh because i'm gonna tell you something a lot of people in Detroit, when we would tell people that, you know, we're producers, man, people would laugh at us. And, like, people didn't take us serious in Detroit. Like, when we was telling them, like, yeah, we take this producing thing serious. Like, we about to move to Atlanta, you know, you know, link up with us. Or that. And people, and they, they thought we was like, what these dudes talking about? And so, <laughs> so, uh, so fast forward to, you know, the first year we were signed with Dallas. Mario called me one day because Mario was one of the guys, you know, we always kept in touch with. He'd come by the studio and he was like, Mario had just turned 18 and um, when he moved to Atlanta. 
because he called me one day. He's like, yo, Bobby told me if ever I want to move to Atlanta, hit you up. <laughs> I'm hitting you up right now. I'm on 75 South right now. And we were, wow. so I told Tim, I was like, hey, Mario really trying to come down here. So um, it was like, pull up, man. And so he, he came, he stayed at our crib. And so then we took him to the studio. Um, and then Dallas was like, um, Dallas was listening to his music. And he was like, so Dallas pulled us to the side. He was like, okay, if you guys kind of take him under your, under your wing, you know, I'll sign him, you know, as a producer, um, you know, to his stable of producers. And he said, because Mario, was, his tracks were so dope when he was 15. Right. So he was he was so young, but he always looked how he looked now. He was when Mario was 15, he looked like how he looked now. And so, <laughs> uh he was doing all these dope tracks and, and but the the style of it was kind of more gospel cuz obviously that's what his family is known for and so Dallas like, you know, if y'all can help transition him into the R&B, you know, and from a creative standpoint. And so um, so Mario came down, he lived in our basement at the time, the house that we had, probably for like, he lived there probably like, I'm going to say at least six months, maybe. Then he ended up getting his own place from there, whatever. But, but yeah, that's how, that's how Mario came down to Atlanta. He called when they was like, I'm on the highway. Y'all said if I wanted <laughs> to come through, I'm calling y'all now. And we was like, come on. And so, you know, uh, Dallas ended up signing him. And then shortly after that, he ended up, you know, doing work with Puff. I think yeah. he was signed to Dallas, and then he—I think he signed his publishing deal to Puffy. I've heard it was—it was—it was different how they did it at first, and then um, of course he obviously ended up moving to New York after that. Yeah, yeah it started in Atlanta. Yeah, that was yeah. Mario Wine's another one-man band. He can do it all. <laughs> I think I sent you the picture to the first to his demo tape back then. Did, yeah, did I? I text you that yeah. picture, right? Yeah, it was next yeah. Yeah. Like that that he had sent. You know, and so uh, yeah, man. Wow, that's crazy to even think about now. That's crazy, yep. and that was a long time ago. That was. And, and <laughs> let's talk about this. Let's talk. Let's talk about your work on this "Boys to Men" second album here. So I mentioned early on, you guys were co-producing with Dallas on records like the TLC record, but on this "Boys to Men" record, you guys are doing it, uh, co-producing it with "Boys to Men." But you know, just talk about um, that transition. Like, how did? Did Dallas let you guys know that you guys were ready to graduate to working on your own or just yeah. talk about well, the process? To, to be completely honest with you, um, we were, he, that's the thing that was so cool about Dallas. He, he allowed us to produce by ourselves coming in. It was okay. just that a couple projects here and there. He had already had the record going, like, you know, the Get It Up record. And then um, nothing else he had had already going. So we was like helping him out with a thing. I think it was, High five. He was doing mm. some high five and we was like helping him with that. But um but when he signed us, we, we like when we when we worked on like perfect gentlemen, I mean yeah. these is groups that <laughs> straight nineties, <laughs> like yeah, late eighties. But like it was perfect gentlemen and then we was doing um who else? When we did the Tina Turner thing, that was just us produced by ourselves, mm -hmm. um, which was early on and then you know, another bad creation that was, of course, that was in Dallas family, but, you know, those records all were produced by us. And then, uh, you know, same with Boys Men. Well, the Boys Men stuff was co-produced with Boys Men. Yeah. Um, but he, he gave us the freedom back then. But he would tell us, you know, here and there, like, yo, man, I think y'all need to probably do this, do this, do that. And he would definitely come in and, like, 
we know we could tell from his reaction when he thought of the record when he would come in the room like if he come in and just you know just and then just leave that guy be like oh, okay we gotta we gotta we gotta get a better reaction from him and then every now and then but how we knew that he was really into the record when he come in and be like okay i got a hook hold on let me see i got a hook and then if he if, he, if it was like that then it was like okay he's feeling this one so but as far as the boys to men two album it was around the time when he went dallas went through this phase um where he just wasn't in the mood to work. He wasn't feeling creative because his best friend at the time had gotten killed, who was mm -hmm. a producer named Randy Rand. Actually, right like a month before we got there, the guy, he, um, and he was a, a, you know, established producer in his own right. He did a lot of stuff with Jam and Lewis, um, Randy Rand, but, um, and that really messed Dallas up because they were about to be a, a production team. And mm -hmm. um, a month before we got there, he was killed in a motorcycle accident. So Dallas went through this phase where he just was like, I'm not really feeling being in this <laughs> working right now. Right. And he would just give us all the projects. And, um, you know, Boys to Men, it was crazy because um, they, 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 they called us and they said, oh, well, first, let me go back. First, we were working with another bad creation because, and how that came about was, of course, through Dallas, but Kevin Wells, who at the time was managing a lot of um, artists and stuff, in Atlanta, what's up, K Wells? And so uh, Kevin Wells was—he's the, the guy that found another bad creation and put them together with Mike Bivens and all that. And so Kevin worked for Dallas. So one day Kev came to us like, "Yo, man, y'all do some dope ballads, man. I gotta—I gotta put y'all with the with the dudes." And we was like, "Who was like boys to man?" We was like, "Man, don't play seriously, man." He's like, "No, I got you. I got you. Trust me." But then like a week later, Kev was like, "Yeah, Wanye coming to town tomorrow." I'm gonna hook him up, you know, with y'all. I want y'all to work on him with, we work with him on um, another bad creation. And so we was like, what? You know, because ABC was killing it back then. Yeah. You know, that first album with Aisha and My World and all that, it was, it mm -hmm. felt like three, four million albums. Those little yeah. kids was killing it, and Dallas had produced all of it. And so, um, so anyway, you know, we, that's how we first started working with YA. And we did like half of another bad creation second album, and mm. it was like in the middle of '93, towards the end of '93. And so, um, so by this time we've gotten our feet more wet and everything, um, getting to meet a couple more executives here and there. And so, after working with Wanye in Atlanta, Wanye was like, "Man, I got to get y'all up to Philly, man." And we was like, man, seriously, don't play, man. Seriously. We already was in awe of working with Wanye. You know, this was right. the biggest group in the world at the time. And so we were already like, really like, man, this is crazy. We work more dudes than boys and men. So next thing you know, they flew us to, to Philly. And it was just supposed to be for like a few days. Like, yeah, come up, you know, we'll bring you up for a week. Man, we was there for like a month. We <laughs> was there for about a month to the point that Dave and Dallas was hitting up like, yeah, hey, y'all got to get back to Atlanta. Okay, y'all, y'all been there a month now. Okay, y'all got to, y'all got work back here. Y'all got to do. And so, um, it was cool, man, uh, to go up to Philly and, you know, really lock in with the guys, man. And they were such cool guys, man. Such, such, such cool guys, man. We had so much fun working on that first album because we went from like Philly, and then we would take a break, and then they would call us and be like. We flying y'all to uh, Nevada. 
and they had rented this amazing studio up in the mountains in Reno, Nevada. And it was, it was amazing, man. It was just one of those things. It was just absolutely amazing to be in this town up nestled up in the middle of the mountains, it's snowing. You know, we mm-hmm. take a break and we will go down into the little village and guys are riding around on horses. That's this part of, of, of Reno, <laughs> like everyone was riding around on horses. And all these people still know who Boys and Men was and freaking out, like, oh my God. And it, and so to witness this from us, this is two guys coming from Peoria, Illinois, a year before. And to witness, we we, we working on the biggest group in the world and just to have this experience with them, it was amazing. And and uh, and the creative vibes was just flowing, like yeah, like when we did Fifty Candles, that's probably one of them, like one of the most memorable sessions ever, man. Just you know, we all got on pajamas because we're in this big studio, but it's in a house. Wow! So every day we work, and everybody in their pajamas, house shoes, and just kicking it. You know, it was just, it was so much fun. It was in the middle of the winter, and so then we went from there, and then we ended up working in LA it was funny because that was when we left Reno they was like yo we're gonna go to LA to LA and Tim gonna know what I'm talking about when I say this we was like nah we cool man it was like what do you mean it's like man we don't mess with LA man we heard they have earthquakes and stuff out there man we nah man we we cool man y'all want to do it on the east coast y'all want to go back to the east coast they was like come on man no come on seriously we fly to LA True story. We fly to LA. It was on a Sunday. And so we spent the day, I'll never forget, we spent the day riding around looking at sites and stuff. And um, mostly like it was like me and Tim and like a couple of the, the uh, security guards and like YA was just showing us the city, whatever. That night was when they had the huge Northridge earthquake. Oh, wow. Before. That night, our first night in LA. <laughs> was big one of the biggest earthquakes the country has ever seen and so it was just a crazy experience man and and so then two days later when the airports and everything opened up we had to hop on a plane and go back to the east coast it was man so many memories with that boys and men album alone but yeah that was our first night in la we were afraid to come here to work because of earthquakes earthquakes and the (laughs) night we were there one of the biggest earthquakes the city has ever seen and That's so, crazy. It was crazy, man. But again, it's one of those things, man. The memories is just crazy, man. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, see what I what I love about that album and a, and a lot of albums that we're gonna talk about later is that you have multiple placements on this album, but none of the songs sound alike. Like you guys had that versatility to do that. Was that the mindset to make it as versatile as possible? Yeah. It was like. Um, it was it's crazy because in terms of like all all like producers have whether we realize or not we have like this competitive thing like you have a level of respect for your peers but it's it's always going to be competitive to a degree and so um we would be really hard on like if if a certain producer did a song and it sounded like other songs we'd be like man mm. they'll change these songs you know why would now of course i understand why they do it but um you know um but back then it was like nah we gotta we didn't we didn't want nothing to sound alike but mm-hmm. what, what 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 would be the thing that kind of gave the songs our identity 
is um, probably, I would say, how we did like our vocals and the way we wrote. That was right. a thread that kind of connected everything together. Like we, when you started hearing the song, about, oh, yeah, that sounds like a Tim and Bob record. I think it was because of the way we wrote. And, um, you know, obviously the, the music, even though the music a lot of times would be different, like, you know, of course, Thong song sounds completely different than 50 Candles. And so, uh, you know, for, for an example, but um, it was just something that we always, I don't know, we always just had that, you know, uh, we always, I don't know, man, I, I, we just, it's just, I guess it's just something you can't really teach, you know, you just, right. you just down a certain path and you, you're following that path, man, and uh, of creativity <laughs> is, is all I can say. We just try, always try to make things sound fresh, like completely different than the song before different drums different you know try not to use the same melodies or the same cadences on words or you know and so um and we and we were pretty like tough on each other like in a sense like i know if i wrote something and based on tim reaction it'd be like yeah that's cool or vice versa if he showed me something they'd be like yeah yeah that's dope that's dope we know, like, no, nah, it ain't dope. It ain't dope. And so, and so that's how we, I think, especially early on, pushed each other as writers, and um, mm. because we focus heavily on the writing aspect and not just the tracks. Like people probably would think that we all was was just about the tracks, but we really were more about the writing, the vocal, yeah. how the harmonies hit in the track, in the harmony, how the melody, like making sure the melody poke out just a little bit. You know, um, and we learned that studying Jam and Lewis, of course. Um, mm -hmm. I would say the most um, between Jam and Lewis, and then like you know, Gospel Group Commission, those guys right. doing their vocal arrangements and stuff like that. So um, I think that's where, our, you know, like I said, our identity began to emerge from the different projects that we would do because they pretty different, you know, projects, whatever. But um, we always try to just keep it fresh and sounding different. Love it. So, Boys to Men album comes out, and then you guys also have a placement with Deborah Cox on that album. What changes for Tim and Bob at that point? Do you guys start getting recognized because that Boys to Men album was so big? Does your name start, you know, popping up in the industry as you know the, the hit makers? Yeah, it did because you know around that time, um, that's when we started doing more and more interviews. Um, you know, we we had a a lot of nice um, articles about us in like Vibe magazine or Billboard magazine. And so these things start getting us more calls. And so um, like once we started locking in, for instance, with Clive on a lot of projects, it started with Monica, of course, and you know, things that Dallas was doing. Um, but then that's the Deborah Cox album. That's when we like personally started working with Clive, um, you know, without Dallas and, or going through Dallas, so to speak. And so, um, and, and it's crazy because Clive would, Clive will wake you up in the middle of the night if you don't like a mix. Nah, man, I need, no, you guys got to recall this. You faded too early or uh, is this too much compression? I, I don't know. We got to do this over. It'd be two in the morning, you know? And so, <laughs> but that's how, that's how Clive is, man. And so, uh, you know, that was, that was man, bunch of experiences with him too, because he'll let you know too if you're not feeling the song. You'll play him like there's been times we would go to New York, I mean with Clive and play him 
songs for two hours. He'll be like, ah, well, I don't hear any hits. Um, let me play you guys. Let me play you guys something. And he'll put on like a song from Whitney that Whitney had just recorded. And like, this is this is this is what I need. Wow, mm. I was a savage like that, but, but it, was, it was, you know, it was fun. They always learn something interacting with, you know, executives like him in L.A. and, you know, all these guys that we were blessed to have, you know, especially as mentors early on, like L.A., Daryl Simmons, you know, all these guys that are like, you know, the greats, man. And so um, it's it's I was thinking about this a few weeks ago, like, Early in our career, man, it was it was a blessing from God. But man, the the people that we had just as mentors—I mean, Dallas, Dallas alone—but yep. the next door to Dallas Studio was Daryl Simmons Studio. You know, who mm-hmm. wrote a lot of stuff with Face. So yep. every other day, we would go to Daryl and just pick his brain. And at the time, my my. Uh, the, the mother of my son, my girlfriend at the time, she worked at LaFace and she was mm. executive assistant to the GM of LaFace. So every, pretty much every Friday, me and Tim would go right. to LaFace and chop it up with LA for like two hours. Like, man, just absorbing, absorbing all the information, all the, the wisdom and insight we could from him. And it was something that we just looked forward to, like, you know, it was it was amazing, man. Like when I think about it, and just to have all these, the guys that we like, just two years before was like, man, LA and Face. Oh my goodness! And so, <laughs> and I never forget, we were one day we were sitting in LA office, just just trying to just get game from him. And he was like, Let me, oh yeah, check this out, check this out. This 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 face new single, put it on, and it was it was uh, never keeping secrets, man. Ah, oh, it was. We was like, wow, man. So to to have these goats as as mentors, man, you know, what a blessing, man. And yeah. Just it just humbles me to this day, like to be able to, to come up under that kind of wisdom, man. Like it was almost like we had the cheat codes. Cause mm-hmm. we signed to Dallas, you know, Puff is coming in like every month. We meeting with Puff and he you know, and that's, you know, <laughs> goes into the whole 112 thing. But, like, that, Daryl Simmons, I mean, L.A., I mean, and and we, we didn't meet Jimmy and Terry till years later, but we just idolized Jimmy and Terry. Like, you can hear that in our music. We we seemingly, like, paid, we pay homage to those guys, like, in every song. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh but yeah, man, they had huge influence on us, man. But yeah, man, it was it was just it was wonderful to to have these guys that we could go to and, and like I said, pick their brains and everything and, and get some wisdom and yeah, grateful. So then the next album that we see from you guys is Monica's debut, and man, I was just listening to that debut earlier. The record with you, Whew. oh, and I'm with you, oh uh, yeah, crazy, <laughs> man, this. I think that'd that'd be dope to come out right now, like the way yeah. that sounds with the eight oh eight kit in it, and like that sample. I still don't know the sample that was, that Tim used right there. That was that that was a dope sample. See, Tim was doing something back then that people wasn't really doing. He was sampling, and and we were putting them in ballads. 
You didn't hear mm -hmm. people doing that. And so um, I got to give it up. I, I think, I don't think Tim get enough credit for that, like from people like, because uh, that was the thing that made our song sound different. You know, samples in a slow song, and this is in the 90s, mm -hmm. you know? And so it was, it was, it was real innovative. And so, uh, so that along with like the way we did melodies and where we pulled inspiration to get melodies. Um, a lot of the music that we grew up on was, was top 40 music. You know, growing mm -hmm. up in Peoria, there wasn't no, you know, here in LA, you could pull up three or four or five different urban stations at, at will, probably more than that. We didn't have urban stations where we grew up. All we had was top 40, like Casey Kasem, mm -hmm. you know, that's where we grew up on, like the Eagles, Chicago, Kenny Loggins, you know what I mean? Um, Carol King. Those are the type of songs that that were available to us now to, to be able to hear the urban music or um, unless you were, you know, an album collector like, you know, Tim, that's in his family. Like um, everybody in Tim's family was collecting music. So they always had all the music and stuff. Yeah. But unless you were like that, you see, I was a preacher kid. And we didn't, we, growing up, we didn't listen to secular music in, in, right. in my house. And so, um, so I, all I had to go on was what was on the radio and, you know, what I listen to if I go to my friend's house. And so, um, so yeah, that's where we pull from, like the Carpenters, man, like all those beautiful, beautiful songs, man. And so if you think about it, if you have a, say, if you have a track you're working on where you have urban drums you have a kind of some kind of obscure sample and then you bring it in some kind of Asian violins or something and then you have pop melodies. That's how you end up getting a sound. Yeah. So many people from different directions are like, wait a minute, whoa, that's nice. Or they're gravi gravitating to it. It's because you've brought in all these very subtle ele elements. You know what I mean? And yeah. so um, that was one of the things that we always, one of our little ways we, did things we always didn't just we did we never just wanted to do an r&b song mm -hmm. It'll, or just an r&b track it'll need something even if it was an r&b track something some other cultural influence had to be in it somewhere if it was just a, a very subtle bongo or something like something would have to be there that to, to mm. make the record sound a little different so um but the Monica thing, that's that's an example. That's like that sample in there makes the song. Um, and then of course the melodies and everything and you know, that's such a dope record, man. Yeah. When I <laughs> you, wow, that just wow, that just took me back right there. Shout out to Monica. Okay, yeah, someone in that's our boy Kevin Wells on that doing that little uh <laughs> diamond in the back, sun rooftop, you know what I mean? So so much fun, man, doing that. That album was a lot of fun. The crazy thing was, Monica was 13 when we did that album. Yeah. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. I might, she might have even been 12. She was 12 wow. when they brought her in the studio. Matter of fact, Kay Wells, from what I remember, is the one that found Monica. And I remember when he brought her to the studio, I think she might have been 12. When she was, when she cut a lot of those vocals on that album, she was no more than 13. Because when the album was done, she was 13. Wow.
Now you can hear that in a, you can hear the maturity in her voice back then, and it was kind of like it was almost challenging to write for her because there was it was so much you could only so much you could talk about. Obviously, you know, a thirteen mm-hmm. year old child, but when you hear her sing, it sounds like a grown woman, you know. And so, yeah. Um, so yeah, man, and that was that was an amazing experience as well. What's up, Monica? Yeah. Shout out to Monica too. <laughs> No 12-year-old should be singing, Now I'm Gone, as good as Monica did at 12. Right. <laughs> That's what I'm oh, saying. Did you say, Now I'm Gone? Yeah. Oh, wow. You know what? Actually, on that song, we were paying homage to um, Devante from mm. a production standpoint. That was us, like, like, because Devante was just killing it at that time, man. Yeah. Like, you know, man. Mm-mm-mm. So that's... Yeah. Oh, is Bob still there? Oh, he's still there. Hold on, let me do one thing. I just gotta, I gotta cool. get my uh, my charger. Hold on one second. Don't worry, take your time. <laughs> Hope you guys are enjoying that this interview with uh, Bob. A lot of history here. We're only in the beginning. There's a lot of other records we got to talk about. Shout out to Tim Kelly. I know you're in here as well. We love you, Tim. We got to get you on here soon. I didn't expect that to happen. <laughs> Bear with me one second. Take your time. Yeah, man. So, uh, let's see here. Right, Sorry, guys. <laughs> Oh, good. <laughs> I'm so sorry about this. Because I can't do it the other way. Hold on, let me try something. Tell me if this don't work. All right. Now you're upside down. Ah, <laughs> that ain't going to work. All right. All right. Almost done. All right, that's perfect. Sorry about that. All good. <laughs> so that's the Monica album. People still love that album to this day. And then this is another album people love. And a lot of people might not know that you guys had a hand in discovering this group, but 112, that debut album, man, that's a classic oh, yeah. right there. Yeah, you know what? It was crazy because um, I, the guy that would come by the studio uh, at the time, his name is Courtney Seals, go by Bear. What's up, Bear? Um, he would come by the studio and he would, he would, this is how it actually started. He would hear us complain at Dallas because by this time we were working on a lot of projects and things, but we weren't getting any singles. Mm-hmm. And so we'd be like, D man, what's, man, we ain't getting no singles, man. What's going on? And so, um, it's funny because we would say the same thing to LA and to Daryl Simmons. 
And what LA would say to us is like, you know what? You guys are overproducing. You gotta simplify, man. Simplify your wow. efforts. Simplify. He kept kept saying simplify. Daryl Simmons, the same thing. Man, you know what? Y'all music is too good. You can't be too good. <laughs> you know, wow. Daryl just raw. He's like, y'all music too good. Don't make it too good. Y'all making it too good. And so, uh, so because we used to put tons of vocal arrangements and like, yeah, you know, we always wanted to show our musician side and everything. And so, but at the end of the day, it needs to be about the record. It needs to be about the song. It doesn't need to be about how dope, you know, we can play some chords, or whatever. And so, um, so anyway, we would go to Dallas, like, man, what do we need to do to get singles? Dallas would say, y'all need to get your own artist. That's how you're going to get some singles, get your own artist. Y'all should put a group together. And then he leave out the room. So then one day, our boy, Courtney Bear, dope, he was a dope barber at the time. He's like, now he's like the, he's a, he's a power player now, executive in the business, uh, right. doing his thing. But, but Bear came in there and was like, hey, man, so check this out, man. I know y'all probably don't believe me, but I know talent when I see it, man. Can I start bringing some guys in here? And we was like, yeah, let's do it, man. Come on. You know, you know, because he was already coming and cutting our hair. And was like, yeah, come on, let's do it. So one by one, he started bringing guys into the studio. And was like, yeah, he's dope. Oh, no, he's, oh, that dude is dope. He got a dope falsetto. Yeah, man, we need to, yeah, we need to put him in the group. And so then we ended up with the four guys. Well, actually, it, it changed a little bit here and there. But um, it's interesting because, like, one of the guys that didn't go in 112 actually is one of the guys in Jagged Edge. Right. Uh, Wingo. Yeah, Wingo and Q from 112, they've been best friends for years, going back since they were kids. And so, um, yeah. so yeah, Wingo used to come by the studio. And, uh, but, yeah, that, that's how it started. And so then when we saw the four that we liked, that's when we started, like, I remember we did our, we start, first started writing songs for them. And so, um, so we we would write the songs, writing songs, kind of later on in the, mm -hmm. in the, the, the development. But we was we would write a couple songs and then we would demo the song. And then, of course, it took some work. And they was really really shy, you know, right. when we first met them. And they were like, I think Slim might have been the oldest one. Slim might have been sixteen or seventeen. Mm -hmm. A couple of the guys were like fifteen, and so they were kids. They were still in high school. Right. And so, um, so yeah, man, just slowly, just pretty much on a daily basis, we're working with him in the studio. Then our boy Ke Kevin Wells, one day, Kevin, because, you know, anybody know K. Wells, you know, K. Wells is like the flyest dude in Atlanta. So right. Kev was like, <laughs> so one day Kev pulled us to the side, was like, hey, what's so, oh, he came in the room rather and was like, and he was just kind of peeping everything really quietly for a while, like what we were trying to do and trying to get the ball rolling. Y'all need to let me help y'all with this, man, because I can get these guys right. And so, and this is the guy that Kev is the one that pretty much developed another bad creation. And those was the flyest little kids you ever see. Like, yep. so Kev started, next thing you know, Kev came to the studio one day and brought a bunch of his own clothes and was just mm. like, let me see how you guys look with this. And just like, okay, come on, y'all, let's go to the mall. Let me just, 
let's just see. I want to see how y'all walk around the mall. Like right. have and start, we start really developing them from that side, you know, from um, how they literally walk across a room, you know, and how how to dress and how to to let certain clothes feel on you. Like Kev start really working with them on that. Then we would they would come to the studio that night, and we would write a song, and then we would all like we would fill the studio up with people in, in the lounge area, most and. Uh, probably we would fill it up with probably like 15, 20 females because these guys were so terrified to sing in front of anybody, let alone females. So Kev was like, we got to break them of it. We got to break them of it. We got to fill the studio tonight. And so pretty much every other night they were singing in front of 15, you know, 20 people, mostly women to to help them come out of the, out out of their shell. And so, um, and and slowly, slowly but surely, man, their confidence started building in themselves and, you know, vocals started getting better and better and tighter and tighter. And so between, you know, me and Tim and Kev and our boy, you know, Courtney, you know, probably like two years went by just solid development, you know. Mm-hmm. And so uh, like every day, every other day. And so and they were putting in the work like because they would like go to school. Uh, and Duran, you know, he played in church. A lot of times they couldn't practice until Duran got out of church. Right. So, so many nights they wouldn't be able to practice till midnight, and mm-hmm. they would do it. Right. And have to be at school <laughs> at seven in the morning, but they did it, man. They put in the work, and so uh, it, and it was crazy because there were artists that we were working at at the time, and they didn't have that kind of dedication that One Twelve did. And that's why 112 succeeded, man, and were able to go on and do the, the amazing things they did because they put the work in, man. Like, people don't even understand, like, the work those guys put in, man. Like, many nights, they didn't even go to, you know, had to go straight to school the next day, and they did it. They didn't complain one bit. Um, so, yeah, yeah, man, that that first 112 album was, it was crazy. And so, oh, so then... After about two years, came out to uh, we had came out to LA for some work, and we went, and then we went back to we went back to it, and, and next thing we know, we we they told us like Puff signed the guys. We're like, huh? He's like Puff signed them. He's like, what? Because actually, Randy Jackson, you know from American Idol, yeah, he wanted to, he wanted to sign one twelve because he was working at Columbia Records at the time, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, he wanted to sign the guys, and that's what we—that's how we wanted it to be. But you know, things happen, and you know, it was just—it was meant to happen the way that it happened is the best way I can put it. And um, we still ended up working on the first. We went up this like after all the the political. It was like a it was, it was a little drama that had happened you know with with the whole bad boy thing and them going to bad boy and so because um, you know dallas uh you know along with us you know we wanted it to happen a different way but you know what we all got past it and so um you know we went up to new york and did the album and it was we we had a ball man we, we went up to new york for about a, and did the first album and so man it was so many memories with that too 
You know, it was funny. I remember the first um, when they were first decided on the single "Only You." Uh, Montel with a song like I'm using the same sample, wow. and so um, so we called Puff like, "Hey, man, we got to go with a different single, man," because you know, you use that that we low key. We really want to come see me to be the first. We really <laughs> want to come see me to be the first single. And so Puff was like, so Montel used that, you know, it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he was like, I don't care. I'm really <laughs> happy. It's definitely the first single now. That's what Puff said. We was like, man, this dude is crazy. And yeah. he was right. He was right. <laughs> yep. And so, and needless to say, when the remix came out, that just, it was game over. But right. Puff caught it, man. He caught it. He was like, so Montel got this same thing. He said, I'm, that's definitely your first single now. Like, wow. he thrives. Puff thrives off that type of stuff, man. So, um, so yeah, man, that was crazy. Mm -hmm. was and then Come See Me, of course, ends up being a single. And, you know, just take me through the early developments of 112, like, the 112 we know today, Slim is the lead singer. Was that always the case? Because 112 is one of those groups where every member can be a lead singer. They're all great vocally. You know, it's, it's interesting you said that because that was one of the, <laughs> that was one of the things we would bump heads. We would bump heads with Puff on because we because like you just said, they were all they would they have four lead singers, which is yeah. rare in in yeah. groups. You know, and so and each of those guys can actually sing. And yeah. so, so when we were doing the songs, we tried to balance that. Like, okay, Slim, uh, we're going to have Mike lead this one. Okay, we're going to get Duran at the biz, boom, boom, boom. So Puff one day was like, hey, man. Actually, K. Wells hit us up. It was like, hey, man, Puff just hit me, man. He said Slim got to be the lead singer. We were like, mm. <laughs> we was like, huh? He's like, no. Puff said Slim is the lead singer of the group, period. And so now wow. he want him to be, you know, so the and so then it was like, man, what's, but I, but now, of course, now I understand, you know, and cause um, he was stressing the importance of every group has to have a lead singer. Right. That was his theory, which is pretty dead on. Sure. And so, uh, yeah. you know, so um, yeah, man, Puff, he made an executive decision. It was like, as of now, Slim is the lead singer of the group. <laughs> and so um and so yeah and that's that's how it went man and so um but it, it was still you know mutual respect between the guys you know because yeah. they they all were so talented man and that's, that's one thing i think 112 didn't get enough credit for was their writing man like this dude's writing is so underrated yeah. so underrated you know um cupid is just one example of it the writing is so underrated, and so, but anyway, yeah, man, so many memories, like, as far as the development, it was a lot of, even when we weren't in the studio, they would come by the house, when we was working on the songs in the house, and so, um, yeah, man, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of getting them to sing in front of people, because again, they were so quiet, and like, a lot like myself, super introverted. They were it and like, you know, it was, you know, it took a lot of development. And 
Um, and like I said earlier, it was meant to happen the way it did. Because had it just yeah. been been me and Tim doing it, I don't think it would. I'm not gonna say they wouldn't have been successful, but it wouldn't have. They wouldn't right. have had the same type of success because the element that that uh, Kevin brought to to the table and 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 really instilled into them was all about swag. Like, and Kev is a swag master, and so like <laughs> Kev, every single day, like. As soon as they got out of school, okay, we'll go get them. And I got I to gotta just take them somewhere. I just got to just, I just got to get them. I got to loosen them up, you know? And so uh, all of that, all of that went into it, man. And so, um, you know, and then we, while we were actually working on their album in New York, they had these girls from Atlanta that were just as dope as them. Mm. They were like a female version of 112. They were called two eleven, and so okay. we were we were all going to do the same thing, but with a female version of one twelve. I can't remember how that fell apart, but it was about to be crazy because one twelve oh. was writing all their records, and we was like we was helping you know, we was kind of just helping them like with the production and stuff. But man, that was going to be a sick project too, but it was all during you know their development, you know, and we we all spent a lot of time in New York City doing that. And so it was, and that was when Bad Boy first just took over the world, man. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> it was just crazy what was going on. And the timing, it was just, it was meant to happen that way, period. And so, um, and, and it was very humbling, you know. You know, it was very humbling for me. I got to say, right. it was super humbling. Like, it's just when you think Puff don't know what he's talking about, he ends up, he ends up being right about something. You're like, damn, he actually called that, man. I didn't think it was gonna happen. <laughs> but you know, it was it was cool, cool experience, man. Much love to everybody in the group and Paywells and Bear. Yeah, man. Yeah, we're gonna have to find that two eleven project as well. We gotta hear that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, next time you talk to one of the guys, ask him about it. Say, hey, two eleven, that's what two eleven. That's gonna be sick. <laughs> <laughs> Will do. Uh, but 1997 comes along, and I feel like right now, like in 97, you guys hit your stride. You guys are in such a groove. You guys are in the zone. You guys create so many classics today that we know as classics. John B's They Don't Know, obviously, is one. Mm. That record right there, to this day, like you can play that, and it still sounds current. Thank you, man. Thank you, man. It was crazy because... Um... When when he came when, <laughs> when John came down, man, after we like did a couple meetings or whatever, he came to Atlanta and we cut the record at Dallas Studio. And um it was so it was so cool getting to know John. You know, and and it's he's really is a black dude trapped in a white dude's body, man. Like, <laughs> and I say that with the utmost like respect and love for him. It was funny, man. Tim knows what I'm talking about when I say that. Like, cause like that's that's really him, man. He really it's not it's not an act that he's putting on, like, and he's not trying to act black. That's the thing that's interesting. He's just a soulful dude, man. And so so yeah, man, we all had a great time in the studio, man. And um we did the track and then, you know, he went in the he went in the booth, you know, he was pretty much freestyling from there and the three of us were just throwing ideas back and forth and it just 
yeah, it just turned out. We we knew it was special after we did it, but you know, we didn't we didn't know like twenty years later mm-hmm. it'll be even more special to more people and still the songs still has life, man. And you know, I gotta say every time I hear this song, man, my face. Yeah. You know, and it makes me so proud, you know, thinking of our journey up to that, you know, pulling into Atlanta bucks each not even a hundred bucks each and to hear that song on the radio man you know it's it's really cool really cool feeling man I feel very blessed you know bless. and then another record during that era Tamiya's so into you tim was telling us you know mario wine is actually singing background on that record or maybe on the oh, demo yeah. and i think that's i think that's Gra- was a part of that song as well i'm sorry brandy was a part of that at some point as well I'm sorry, I keep missing the last thing you said. Brandy was a part of that song at some point. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was crazy. Yeah, the, um, Mario, you can hear Mario's vocals all over that. And it just, the, the, the texture and the tone of his voice matched her so well, man. And um, yeah, and, and Mario was actually working on, to me, he, he worked on that same album too. And so, yeah, man. Because Mario did the, he did the demo. Yeah. And so, to me, it was like, man, I actually like his 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 um, backgrounds in there, and we we kept it in there. And that was actually not long after Mario had moved down there. It wasn't mm. too much longer after that. Um, okay, I guess maybe it was a couple. Of years. It, maybe he had been there for about a year, or so a year or two. But um, but yeah, he was he was fairly new in Atlanta when he when it, when we did that at the time that we did the song, and so yeah, yeah, Mario, yeah, man. That's a dope record. Thank you, man. <laughs> and then uh, the, ta- the song that I was talking to you about the other day, I was just listening to it nonstop, the Destiny's Child record, Tell Me. Oh, yeah. I know you guys did a bunch with valid. Destiny's Child early on, right? I'm sorry? You guys did a bunch with them early on. Yeah, because Daryl Simmons, um, he called us one day. Excuse me. He called us. Excuse me. And... Um, or we may have went by because again we would go by the studio. We would go by Daryl's studio like every other day. It was literally right next door to Dallas, and so we we go over there one day where he had called us like, "Yeah, man, I'm I'm bringing some bringing my group down. I got these girls, little girls from Houston that I signed called the Dials. You know, I want you guys to do the majority of the record. I'll probably do a couple songs, and then you know, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and put it out. It was like cool, and so he brought the girls down. And we, we recorded them at um, most of the material. We recorded at a studio at the time called Boss Town, which was, was owned by Bobby Brown at the time. And, um, and Boss Town, anybody that knew Atlanta back then, Boss Town was like one of the main studios. Right. So, and we still have a lot of history left. So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know what? I, I try to keep it short, too, man. I, I try to. No, it's all good. Uh, we got time. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. I'm sorry, where, where was we at, man? Um, I, I, we're talking about the dials, Destiny's Child. Yes. So yeah. Daryl, he brings the girls down. We we recorded them at Bobby Brown Studio, Boss Town mm-hmm. Studios. And um, at the time, we were doing a lot of business with uh, an executive named Kim Burst. Um, and she was like powerful female um, executive at the time. And so, uh, so the reason why I brought up her name is this because after we cut all those songs on Destiny's Child, this is, and this is over the course of like maybe 
several months, I would say probably three or four months of them coming to Atlanta, go back to Houston. They, a couple of times they came out here. We worked out here in LA. And so, uh, but then one day Daryl calls us. He was like, Hey man, so, um, I'm letting the girls go. Cause you know, I, uh, I, I can't deal with Matthew no more. Don't Beyonce's dad. And so, yeah. So, uh, yeah, man. So if y'all want to do something with the girls, y'all, y'all welcome to, I'm I'm just not doing I don't have nothing to do with them so just y'all can use the songs if y'all want. And he was just like, he was just done. It was like whoa. So then shortly after, Matthew called us and left us a, a voicemail like you know guys man, we have nothing man. Daryl let the girls go. I've already quit my job. I don't know what we're gonna do. You know, any way you guys can help us, you know, we would appreciate it. You know, if you could help us, you know, get our music out or set up some meetings or whatever. So we, we first we called um Randy and then we did we call Randy? We might have, I don't know if we called Randy. We ended up talking to Kim Burst. And so um and I and I'm not saying we're the reason that they were signed there, but they ended up being signed there. But we kinda like put the bug in Kim Burst's ear you know, these, these girls, Daryl got, they dope and, you know, and so, um, so that's, and then they, they, they ended up at Columbia. And so, mm-hmm. um, but we had done, we had done probably 12 songs on them and they were 14, 15 at the time. They were 14 actually, because wow. I think by the time they actually signed their deal, um, through, uh, Dwayne Wiggins, okay. which was through, you know, which was through, um, uh, I think it was through Columbia at the time. But um, but yeah, so it, it was it was it was pretty it was pretty crazy, man. Um, so many memories, man, that you bring it up right now. It's just, yeah. <laughs> it's just, there's things that I don't think about often. I I think about them, but like specific things. But that's one of them, man. It was, and Beyonce was the way she sings now. She sung like that at fourteen. Mm. Like we we can we have the proof, you know. Um, amazing vocals man and and she always wanted to know producer type stuff like how did you guys get the the harmony to balance like that which notes should be lower than other notes in the harmonies because there's four different notes which notes do you guys usually have as the Mm -hmm. lead note do you have other notes at the same level as the melody do you always have the like she would ask very specific questions at 14 like how do you how do you guys usually do your blends on the harmonies like we're like you're gonna be a producer one day you're asking producer questions like wow and so she like all the other girls would be sleep she liked to sit there in the mix watch the mix while the mix is going on and everything and so um so it doesn't surprise me one bit that she's achieved the level of success that she's achieved and so um because she's been putting in the work and and they were putting in the work before we, you know, worked with them. But she was fourteen at that time. Yeah. So man, you know, it, it was amazing, man. And so, obviously, so proud of her. And it was crazy because last time I saw her, I ran into her at church out here. This was like years ago. I ran into her at Bishop Noel Jones's church, and um, I didn't see her. She recognized me. She had on a baseball cap and. You would not have known this was Beyonce. Right. So um, 
And Crazy in Love, I think, had just came out and just killed it. But she was like super low key in the church, her, her mom. But I was outside walking to my car and that's she got out and you know, we hugged and talked for a second, but that's that's the last time I think I, I think I spoke with her. That was that was years ago. But but yeah, man. A lot of memories nope. there too. A lot of memories there too, man. Yeah, we gotta hear those uh unreleased Tim and Bob Destiny's Childs records, man. <laughs> you know what? You know who I think has him? I think Tim has you should get with Tim on that. He sh I think Tim actually has them. Because um, we went through this, I don't know if I told you last interview that we went through this thing where we lost all of our music. Wow. Because we kept, this is before hard drives and all that. We kept all of our dads in this big bag that Tim carried around, like when we travel and stuff. Right. And, and, and uh, we had just came back from a trip, man, and, and um, Tim accidentally left his bag on the one of the trolleys at the airport. Man, wow. we was crying and everything. Like we was, I mean, we was messed up. And so, <laughs> uh, yeah, man, it, we was messed up, man. But you know, we ended up getting through it. And it's crazy because we told Daryl Simmons we we go to Daryl next door to Dallas. We go to Daryl, and we lost everything, man. We lost all our music, man. Man, Daryl looked at us and was like, "You do y'all think I'm gonna be? Wait a minute, y'all think I'm gonna feel sorry for you guys right now?" <laughs> as talented as you dudes are, y'all think I'm gonna feel sorry for y'all right now? I said, make some more songs. So what? You lost your song. So? Wow. <laughs> and we was like, whoa. Like he went, he talked grown man talk to us, like, Wow. Y'all lost your music. So y'all gonna sit here and pout about it, or y'all just gonna go make some more music? Wow. I would go make some more music. And we did, and shortly after that. If I'm not mistaken, shortly after that was when uh, they don't know. Like, I, I think that was the next big thing that happened with us was they don't know after that conversation with Daryl. Nice. That's, that's crazy. crazy. Man. That's crazy. <laughs> so many crazy little things, man. But, you know, because when I say that messed us up, that messed us up. And when we lost, <laughs> we lost all that music, hundreds of songs, man. And so um, but we, we started over, you know, we started nice. over. And then during this time period, you guys go on, you guys produce so many different projects. I think you guys are working on Bobby Brown at that time as well. Right, um, yeah. And then, you know, you guys uh, you have... You know, every, man, you naming stuff. Wow. You talk, stuff. talk about that Bobby Brown album, man. <laughs> it was crazy because um, this was right around 90, like the late night, like 97, 98, somewhere around there. Yep. And, um Obviously, we were huge fans of his, and so um, you know, I think Bobby is one of the most misunderstood people in the, in the industry. Man, I think I, I don't think people really understand him. Like we got away, got a, we were able to get an understanding of who he is and how he operates. But it was crazy working with him at first because the first two days he didn't even show up to the session. <laughs> wow, he didn't even show up, man. And so, and because it, it would be like, yeah, y'all, y'all starting at three, so. We we in the studio and it's like eight o'clock and we're like, um, hey, is he is he is he coming? Hold on, man. Hold on, man. Let me go. Let me go get him. So then by like midnight, it's like, hey, hey guys, sorry, man. He he's not gonna make it tonight, man. So um, yeah, tomorrow at three, man. Tomorrow at three. So then the next day, it's eight o'clock again. He still ain't there, and we like, okay. And see, he didn't show up, right? So then the third. So then the third day was like, nah, we cool, man. We're not. 
We so the next day we didn't show up, and then that's when he called us. Hey man, hey I'm at the studio, man. We was like, we've been waiting on you the last three days, bro. So then mm. that's when we finally had like, you know, we were able to like have you know mutual respect for each other in terms of respecting each other's time and stuff. So from there it wasn't a problem, but like the first couple of days he didn't show up. But after that, man, he was just man, he was totally receptive and you know. Um, receptive to our, our ideas and um i think we did three of the best songs we've ever done in our career on him forever um been around the world and um it's crazy we actually we actually ended up doing been around the world on usher oh wow and um it never it never got released though but yeah we ended up doing that on usher and because um, usher loved that record right but, um but yeah, man, working with, with with Bobby Brown, that was that was an amazing experience too. Yeah. Awesome. Is that is that Usher record uh one of the ones that Tim lost? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? He he may have that one. Tim. <laughs> Tim, Tim should cuz Tim has everything. He has he keeps everything. Tim yeah. should have that. Right. The only one I have is that um my way when we did a song because you know remember yep. i told you i think yeah you told me that yep yeah i have my way but uh i don't have been around the world man but it was man that was a beautiful song man those three of my favorite songs that we've ever done like i gotta say nice uh, been around the world forever yeah man great great stuff great stuff yeah so Tim in the comments just said, uh, "I got it." So Tim, we're gonna have to have you. <laughs> we're gonna have to have you on this live shortly after. <laughs> so Bob, you you guys have placements at this point. You have singles, but Thong Song that record doesn't like to me. When I think Tim and Bob, I don't think Thong Song, but mm. that song ends up being massive. It just take me through creating that song for Cisco. Well. Um... It's crazy because during that time we were trying to come up with stuff for Michael Jackson, um, mm. and we were just trying to come up with different sounding, you know, innovative stuff. And so one day I heard Tim sampling that um, Eleanor Rigby. I'm like, wow, because you know you could hear it resonating through the house because we were sharing a, a big house in Atlanta, and you know our studio was in it and everything. And so I hear him sampling that, and one day I'm like, no, he didn't. That's gonna be crazy. And that's how usually how we would work. Like I could hear when he's sampling things, and so a lot of times if he's sampling some stuff, I'm immediately like, "Oh man, I'm I'm thinking of a melody, some melodies or a hook or something, you know, or I'm, or I'm thinking or I'm coming up with a a guitar, something that could go with that. I'm thinking of some programming that can go with what a sample that he's doing. And so, um, but when I heard him doing that, I'm like, "Dang, that's crazy." So I walk up in the room. I'm like, that's nuts. He's like, he's like, Robinson, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy, man. <laughs> and so uh, so then we ended up having a meeting with, because um, we had been talking to Cisco's manager at the time. His name is Kenneth Creer. And Kenneth Creer um, had always told us, man, when I when I get in the music business, I'm going to be calling y'all. Because he was a sports agent, but he transitioned mm -hmm. into the music business. So sure enough, he called us like, hey, man, I got a project for y'all, Cisco, man. Need, need joints, man. Need some joints. And actually, Dong Song wasn't supposed to, it wasn't even supposed to even go to Cisco, man. Mm. Um, 
I think that's something that Tim accidentally like put on the uh, the records that were sent to uh, Cisco. That's that's how I remember it happening. And so um, next thing you know, Cisco's like, "Yeah, I want to mess with that one." And we was like, "Really?" And we were like, <laughs> oh man, that's for Mike. Oh my goodness, man, that's the joint we was gonna say. Mike. It was like we just didn't. I don't think anybody on the label. I don't think no one you know, was able to see how huge that song was, was going to be because number one, it barely made the album. Mm. Like, it was like, of course the song was dope, super dope song, right? And so, but it was so different than the rest of his album yeah. that it was like, it, it, was, it wasn't going to, so, so anyway, how the, the process was, um, my son, I had a, uh, my son was was a year old at the time, so I was in Atlanta spending time with my son, you know, on our downtime. And uh, Tim, I think Tim was already in LA, and he was like, "Hey man, we start with Cisco tonight." I was like, "Oh man," because it was like it was like in the middle of the day in Atlanta, and so it was, it was too late for me to get out that night. I was like, "Oh cool, I'm gonna I'm gonna get on the first thing in the morning." And so so when I got there, they had the hook, and and um, I think I might have said this in our last interview, like. It was it was, and a lot a couple of things we wasn't on the same page with Cisco. And so, like for instance, Thong Song, I'll be honest, we hated the name. Like, like <laughs> I'm gonna call that the because this this was in a time where they were rough on on censorship, man. And this is when they first start putting this the uh, parental advisory stickers on the CDs. Mm -hmm. This was when all that first really popped off, and so. We were we always tried to write songs that you know, like I mentioned Tim's mother earlier. Like every song we would do, that would be the first person Tim called. Hey, mom, check this out. He would send the songs to his mom. She was like our biggest fan, and so like we, you know, we took pride in in the, the lyrical content of what we would we be doing, and so um, and we never wrote like suggestive songs like that, right? And so. Um, you know, we was just like, Thong Song? You want to call it Thong Song? It's like, such a weird <laughs> name. Like, we we was hating on the name. I ain't, ain't going to lie. Like, it was like, man, this, the melody is just dope. But, man, don't we, Thong Song, are you sure? We was totally re resisting it. And so, um, but it was obviously, it was it was growing us. And, it, and the track was so dope. And, you know, the range was and everything was so dope. So when I got there, they had the, the hook going. And so when I heard the hook, I was like, wow, that's dope. And then one thing that I love that we were, were all on the same page was repeating the, the same verse over. Right. You know, that's just like, I got to say, I think that's the, the dopest thing of the song is that the verse repeats like that. Yeah. You know, a la Eurythmics, you know what I mean? And so, um, you know, next thing you know, from there, uh, um, I think because the song was done in like two days, like by the second or third day in the studio, like all the vocals were done and all that. And so then, even then, after going back, the label hearing and everything was like, okay, this is cool. The dope song is different, different and everything. But it, man, it's it's so it's hot. You know what we're gonna do? We're gonna put it on the um, we're gonna put it on his European his European album mm. as an additional a bonus track. Like that's that's to the extent of what it was supposed to be. It was supposed to go on his European album. album mm -hmm. Right. Just as 
a bonus track or his or his US album, but just as a bonus track because it was so different than right. his songs. And so, um, but next thing you know, the DJs, and this was right as they they had just shot Cisco's video for his first single. Because um, I'll never forget when they called us, like, they got to stop the first single. All these DJs are forcing it to be his next single. Mm. So the label was forced to stop his single in the middle and, like, go to, to Gong Song. Right. And so, um, yeah, that was... I gotta say the DJs were the ones that uh, made that happen. A collective group of you know the different uh, DJs around the country, and so that's 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 how it went, man. And it was crazy, man. And it was crazy because they just we just um, did a documentary with uh, Vice on Thong Song. This is probably going to be delayed now because of everything going on, but. Um, yeah. um, it's it's all about thong song and, and I'm sure Tim goes into it as well. But I I speak on like all the the drama that happened after thong song because it was so much. It'll take up the next two hours <laughs> that what happened, man. But it was like it was crazy, and then it, it was this thing where Cisco never would mention our name when he was winning all the awards, and you know, as a mm. producer, that's what you drive off of. That's what brings you more work is, yo, I want to shout out to Tim and Bob. They did my record. You know, shout out to uh, Dallas Austin. That's how, you know, we get work, you know. That's one of the main ways is by word of mouth. And so, um, yeah, man, he would, like, he refused to say our names. And we was like, is this is this because we originally didn't like the the name song song? (laughs) But it's cool, though, man. But, um but yeah, man, a lot of that crazy because the song was in litigation for like three years. Wow, it was it was crazy because come to find out, a lot of ideas Cisco brought to the studio weren't his ideas; they were his cousin's ideas. Oh wow! But he never said that when we did like the splits and everything. He never disclosed that to us, and he also never disclosed to us um, that he didn't take care of the Living La Vida Loca sample. Because that's another thing Cisco was like, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, I got a relationship with Desmond Child. Yeah, we good, we good on that. Man, we wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> we was not good. But, you know, it's all learning, man, and learning experiences, man. And because um, there's things that we could have done differently, too. So we definitely not perfect, man. But, again, o- overall, it was some great memories with that and um with that as well bittersweet memories with that but yeah. you know <laughs> more sweet than bitter so right yeah well it was crazy. with that record you didn't like it being called thong song initially what were you trying to pitch as the title if well, not it for the song? it wasn't that we was trying to and honestly me and tim really kept that between him and i Okay. We, when we spoke privately, we were like, man, why the world? We never said that to him. Hey, man, why you right. up? I want to be clear about that. Yeah. We, we never said that to him. In the studio, we was like, yeah, 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 okay, cool, cool, cool. But in our mind, we were like, man, what in the world are you doing? And so we <laughs> talked about that privately. And so, um, so yeah, we, we wasn't trying to change that because he, he was very adamant, like, man, I got, I'm telling you, I got an idea, man. Call, call it the thong song. <laughs> like, uh, and this was before the, the session that happened or anything. You know, it was just 
because he had the track and that's how he was able to you know write him and his cousins or whatever and so uh so yeah man it was it was a lot of confusion around it and a lot of miscommunication because a lot of times we didn't speak directly to him we everything would go through kenneth his manager and it was just mm-hmm. but it, it was just one of those things we were obviously meant to experience and so a lot of growth mm-hmm. a lot of lawyer bills <laughs> <laughs> but it's cool man you you live and you learn and you know you, you move on and so uh yeah man grateful for the experience and everything and you know not like i said i don't think anyone saw that coming as far as the success of it yeah i mean, I don't think anyone saw that coming because again like i said it wasn't even supposed to be on the album but mm, it's crazy yeah <laughs> that was crazy yeah i mean i love the work that you know you guys did with a lot of the male vocalists that we love john b of course and then case as well as joe you guys did some Serious work with those two. Missing you, obviously, is the one that stands out. Mm, oh, yes. And Missing You was, it was, we actually did, the first time we recorded Missing You was obviously on Joe, but we did it at Dallas Studio in Atlanta. And um, the first time we worked with Joe, he's the dopest singer. Like, it's, yep. talk to anybody that worked with him, they'll tell you, like, there's not too many people like him in the studio. He does not go off key. It just, it ain't going to happen. It's like he got a built-in auto-tune in his body. He's not going off key. And so, um, so yeah, when we when we did that song, it was crazy because his manager at the time, Kadar Massenberg, super powerful, you know, legend, you know, executive in the game, um, he didn't, he didn't, he, this, what his exact words is, man, radio never play that record, man. <laughs> and we, and we were some sensitive dudes back then. We was like, what are you crazy? Like, <laughs> we, we, like I said, man, like, I think we took things a lot more personally back then. Cause we were so, I don't know. And your, your songs were like your children, man. And so, uh, we took a lot of stuff personal back then. And so, but, but Kadar was like, nah, man, radio ain't gonna play that record, man. We, we, ain't, we, ain't, wow. it's, it's a dope, it's dope, but radio ain't gonna play it. And, that, and so, and he left it at that. So we was out here in LA, um, in the studio. And I don't even know what we were in the studio for, but me and Tim, just us were in the room. We just, going through some songs we had did and we were listening to miss to uh missing you out of nowhere this guy knocks on our studio door it's like yo man it was a guy named jojo brim it's like yo man i, I work for def jam what was that joint y'all played before this one man and then uh tim went back so i hear this one and he played it he said is joe using that it was like nah joe ain't using it because mind you just before that a month before, Kadar Massenberg told us, nah, radio ain't, nah, we cool on that. Radio ain't gonna play that record. So it was like, nah, it's free. You know, it's, it's oh, you know, you can have it. He's like, hold on. He got on the phone. By that night, he was like, I, I want that record. We can start paperwork tomorrow. Case is mm-hmm. cutting that record. Yeah. Like, and JoJo, if you know JoJo, he's like, and so, and sure enough, JoJo got the ball rolling immediately. And so, uh, so the next thing you know, we get a call from Kadar Massenberg, like, 
this was like, you know, a few weeks after that the word got around that Case had cut this dope record called Miss You. Nah, right. man, hold on, what y'all doing? No, we want, we still want the record, man. <laughs> it's like, huh? You just said, nah, man, I didn't say we wasn't using it. I just said radio ain't gonna play it. Mm. It was a big mess. Ended up having to go, literally, we had, we had to get um, legal involved. Wow. And so, um, it was crazy. Lior gets involved. Everybody gets involved. And so the settlement ended up being Case can release it in the States. He can't release it abroad. Joe can release it abroad. He can't release it in the States. So Joe released it in the UK. And it, and it went number one. Joe's right. version went number one. And and obviously Case's version went number one here. So, so yeah, man. So there's two versions of it. I, a lot of people don't know that. Right. Joe's version is out too. Um. But yeah, man. But obviously, if if you're talking singers, most people will say you don't find too many better singers than Joe. Right. But everyone that hears Joe's version of his case, they prefer Case's version. Mm-hmm. You know, his case, his performance, man, it was amazing performance on that song, man. And so that was the story behind missing you. And so, um, yeah, man. It was, it was a lot of drama associated with that too. <laughs> I think. <laughs> think about it. I think with that song, what stands out from Cases at the end when he's like he ad libs, "I can't sing no more." Like that's just the passion hey, in his voice on that record. He really was hoarse too. <laughs> right. Because he was singing his soul off that night, and he was he was he had reached his peak. That's when he right. was like, "I can't sing no more." He was really done because he probably had did a. 10 passes just ad libs. Mm. And that's why he was like, I can't sing no more. <laughs> yeah, man. We cut that record out here. And um, it was a lot of fun working with Case, man. We, we had so much fun working with him, man. I, I think we did half of that album. And so, uh, yeah, Case is a, he needs to be in movies. That's what he needs to be doing. That dude is so funny, man. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe he ain't doing no acting by now. I think he had did some acting, but he needs to be, he still should be doing some acting. So, yeah. but yeah, man, that's that was another one, man. <laughs> yeah, man. Yep. So years go by, and then I just want to highlight this record because, again, this is another one that I feel like is completely different from the Tim and Bob that I know. It's the Jennifer Lopez song, Cherry Pie. Oh, that's completely know, different than, than what I know. Yes, that was different. Uh, yeah, so um, Cherry Pie, first of all, shout out to um, to our boy Corey Rooney for bringing mm-hmm. us in on that Jennifer project. It, it's funny because like two albums prior to that, we met with him and met with Jennifer, and just because of the, the schedules or whatever, we just never could get on the project. And so finally on that one, we all like um, when Encino and she had rented a house with a studio, and so we all was out there for about a month. Us, Rich Harrison. Corey Rooney, a um, couple other producers would come by. Do I need to turn some light on in here? Uh, no, you're good. We good? Okay. Hey, cool, cool. And so, um, so when we, obviously, me and Tim are huge Prince fans, and so, um, so one night we was just in the studio in Encino for this project. We were just messing with a track, and um, we had wanted to do something that felt like Prince. 
And mm. so Corey came in. He was like, yo, what is this, man? What? <laughs> Hold on. Because Corey's nice with the pen. And Corey just, right. he was like, I got an idea already. And so then Corey, so mm -hmm. we all started bouncing ideas back and forth. And so um, that's how Cherry Pie came about. And um, fun making that album too, man. Yeah. So cool working with, with, with Jennifer, man. She's super humble, super easy to work with. And um, I think people will be surprised how down to earth she is considering her, you know, level of, of celebrity. Um, super great person, man. And we, we all would have long talks about relationships and everything. And, and Mark, because she was, she was married to Mark at the time. And uh, Mark was crazy. Mark Anthony. Mark was crazy. But uh, it's funny because I don't know if you guys ever interviewed Rich Harrison. But have you ever interviewed Rich? No, we're trying to find him. <laughs> if you ever interview Rich, you have to ask him, say, Bob said, man, to ask you about the time that you and Mark Anthony almost got to fight. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it was so funny, man. Oh, my God. It was so funny. But, uh, awesome. but yeah, man, a lot of great memories with that project as well, too. And, um, you know, it was it was super cool to work with her. Always a pleasure to work with Corey Rooney. You know, he one of the goats. You know, um, we both look up to him very much. And so that was definitely a cool project to work on. Yeah. Hey, Bob, do you want to turn on the light? You're looking a little. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. All right. Let me let me do a little bit. It got dark quick, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Tim, you got to get us in contact with Rich. We've been trying to find him. Try to get him on here as well. All right. Is that better? That's perfect. Cool. So, I mean, we can spend the next three hours talking about Bobby V's discography and the work that you guys did together. Oh, but wow. before we do that, though, um, that sound that you guys created with Bobby, it was like an Asian-influenced R&B. Like, that sound went on for you guys to be this thing for the next couple of year years. You guys just killed it with every record you did. But I think what was interesting about that sound, as well as the work that you did with Bobby, is it kind of introduced you guys to a new generation of R&B fans. Yeah. It was that younger crowd. Um, just talk about some of the work that you guys did together and maybe even that sound in particular. It's crazy, man, because a lot of people, and I'm sure Tim get texts like this too. A lot of people will text me like, basically saying like, man, I didn't know you guys did anything before Bobby V. Right. Wow, <laughs> just seeing that you did this, you did this, you did this. And so uh, it's, it's cool though, man. And um with Bobby, it started because cause we had worked with him when he was a mister. Yeah. And um, it was their second album. And I'm telling you, that album was so sick. It didn't get released, but that was going to be a sick album. It was like unofficially Bobby's first, first album. And right. so, uh, <laughs> but that, because you hear the vibe, like if you heard the songs, the songs are so dope. And so, um, so Tim had called me one day. I, I was actually in Miami. Um, I was in Miami working. Cause you know, a lot of times, you know, we would work on different things and like just to keep the ball rolling. We work on projects at the same time. So I was in Miami working on a project, and Tim called me. He's like, "Hey man, 
hey, little Bobby out here. Cause we call him little Bobby. Hey, little Bobby out here, man. Cause yo, I'm I'm about to uh, go and do a couple of joints on him. He he really trying to do something. I was like, cool, cool. Let me yeah, send it to me once you guys do something. And and the next day, Tim sent me um, one of the ballads. Is one of my favorite ones on there. One girl to love. Nope, not one girl to love. I think it was never one leave you. Know. I think it was never leave you. Okay. Yeah. He sent me that, and I was like, "Oh my goodness, this is about to be crazy." It was one of the ballads on yeah. the album that he sent me. I think it was "Never Leave You," and I was like, "Oh my goodness!" Now I think I might have had the hook on it or something. Yeah. But the track was the track was done. I was like, "Dang!" So when I when I got back, they had did a couple ideas, but that's when we like went in the studio and like really went full throttle and just like like Bobby's. If you add up all the days, his first album was done in two weeks. May wow. if that. Mm. We were doing like two joints a day, like because the album was done pretty much before Luda came in the picture. Right. And so um we had we took his and uh, first of all, let me answer your question, because you said how did that sound come about? Yeah. And Tim had um hit me one Tim had he had texted me or I had seen him at the house or something. And um, seen him at his crib because we were living in LA by this time. And he was like, "Man, I just sampled something so crazy from Last Samurai, the movie Last Samurai <laughs> by Tom Cruise." Oh man! And then he was just like going through the path and showing me the samples. I was like, "Oh my goodness, man! Wow!" Because you could just you could just hear it like yeah. when you press a pad and it got a certain sample, and you can already hear what it's going to be, you know. And so it was just like it's over. Like in my in my mind, and I'm sure in their mind too, it was like it's about to be on and cracking. And so, um, and we were just going through the songs, going through the songs. And it was it was it kind of like that Asian theme was just it just kept sticking. Let's let's find a way to keep that theme going through the record, through all the songs, yeah. even if it's a certain way a sound is played on the keyboard. Like you can do certain things, you can manipulate the modulation wheel, do certain things to make right. it sound like an Asian sound, even if it's actually not an Asian sounding patch in the keyboard. So we right. were just going through and just really making that the core of his sound. And so, um, and all the hooks, and it's just something about when the three of us get in the studio, man, it's just magic, man. Yeah, <laughs> and, if, and we'll go in the studio with nothing in an hour. The track is done, and the song vocals are done. Wow, that's how quickly the three of us work together. It's crazy, and so, um, so yeah, man, we we flew through, and, and it's crazy because we we went around showing the songs to executives. Oh, it's cool, it's cool. Yeah, I like the song. Yeah, it's okay. It's, it's good. It was the, the response was mediocre, and we was just like, man, we were just like, man, people don't have vision these days. This is crazy, no. and so um, nobody was like, nobody was 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 budget. Right. So one night we left the studio, and Tim called me on my phone. He said, "Hey, man, I'm gonna just take this up to uh, PJ Butter." At the time, it was a DJ out here, our boy uh, PJ Butter. Shout out to PJ Butter. He He's like, he's solely pretty much responsible for uh, 
for uh, Bobby <laughs> getting on the map. Uh-huh. He's like yeah. the unsung hero, man, PJ Butter, because Tim called me. He's like, man, I'm going to just take this up to PJ Butter, man. Skip it, man. So next thing you know, because PJ had this segment at nighttime. He was like, you know, from like 11 to like 2 in the morning, he would play unsigned music. But the cool thing was his wife also was a DJ. She was on maternity leave, so he was working her shift, which was in the mornings during like the main, you know, time bracket. And so um, he was like, the first night he played it, the the phones lit up. So he called us like, yo, man, y'all should come up here tomorrow night. Y'all got to see this. So sure enough, we went up there the next night, and he did. He played Slow Down. Mm. And so um, people started calling like crazy. And this was right when Usher's uh, Yeah came out. Right. So like for th- three or four nights in a row, the phone lines is lighting up. Who is he? Who's Bobby Valentino? What does he look like? Is he from LA? Everybody thought he was from LA because he's talking about Melrose. Right. And then, you know, and at the same time, we were already talking to Luda about, um, we were already talking to Luda about running Disturbing the Peace, the R&B wing of Disturbing the Peace. We were already in conversations with that about, um, with that, about that with Luda. And so, um, so the next thing you know, like, Luda, and I got to give a shout out to, um, as well, to uh, Poon, Poon Daddy. You know, uh, him and Poon and Luda started off as DJs in Atlanta back in college. So, you know, that's that's how Poon was like, you know what, we got to get Chris to come in. And so uh, so it, it all just made sense to, to, to put it through uh, Disturbing the Peace. And so that's how it came about. It's funny because even then, after you know, Luda listened to all the songs and his his managers, you know, Shaka Zulu, what's up, Shaka and Jeff, Big Jeff, um, Luda's managers, they was like, okay, let's let's do it, let's do it. And so, funny because the first thing Shaka said is, "I right, man, we got to tell all the DJs to stop playing Slow Down. That's not gonna be the first single." <laughs> he was like, "Man, are you crazy?" He's like, "Nah, man, cause nah, he need to." He need that look with Luda on this man. He wanted Shaka wanted to give me a chance to be the first single. Ooh. The song with Luda, yeah. which is dope too. Yeah. Shaka was like, nah, that's the first single, man. I'm, I gotta make an executive decision on that. That's that's the first single. It was like, okay, Shaka, these these programmers out here saying you need to call them because you tripping right now. And so Shaka <laughs> called the programmers out here. And then after that, he was like, he had to stand down. He's like, all right, let's run with it, man. Y'all was right. It's it's too (laughs) hot right now. And so um, that's how Slow Down came about, man. But that was almost not going to be the single. It's funny, like, all the songs we're talking about, the story behind the songs is they were just a step away from not even being a single. That's crazy. You know, and um, a lot of times, you know, things that happen, and we, we wonder why they happen a certain way. But then when you get on the other side of it, you're like, ah, okay, I see what's going on now. And so, um, yeah, man, it was, it was, it was crazy, man. But that was, that was a lot of fun too, cutting that album, man. Cause the creativity, like I said, with the three of us, the creativity, man, just, it just flows, man. And yeah, you know, and those other songs and then, and t- like the song you mentioned, like One Girl to Love, like those types of songs. And of course, we were paying homage to Jimmy and Terry on that Tender Love, mm-hmm. you know, 
just a piano and string, you know what I mean? And so, um, yeah, man. And it was, it was cool to just creatively to have, you know, 100% freedom. And uh, cause they just told us, they just let us turn in the album and that was it. And they got, they put two more records on there from other, from other producers, but yeah, I think that was it. Yeah. And like I said, the work that you guys do with Bobby B on consecutive albums, every album you guys have joints on there. If I can't have you, that was one of my favorites. Are you ready? Like those records. And that's at a time when R&B might not be as popular as it once was, but guys, if you go back and you search up those two songs, those are killer songs. Man, thank you, man. Appreciate it. Wow, you named some joints, man. Yep. <laughs> I might have to make another playlist when I get out of here. Yeah, yeah exactly. Man. So that, that, that you, first album, even like the first few albums were like, yeah, wow. Make you the only one. That's another one. Ooh, crazy, crazy record. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the only one. Yeah. Man. Yep. So, Bob, as the years go by, and like I said, R and B starts declining in terms of popularity on the charts mm. does your approach with tim and how you guys do your records does that change because like by about 2007 you get you guys are still doing that traditional r&b but mm. does that approach change over the years or do you guys just did you guys just stick with what you guys knew wow that's a really good question man um i don't think i don't think the approach i think we kept the same approach but we would try to keep, we would try that approach in a different context. Like we would, so instead of it being Asian theme, then it might be where we want to do a song where it sound like Babyface collaborated with Teddy, or we might mm. do a song where it sounded like Babyface collaborated with Timbaland. Right. And that's and this the way we, or we would literally sit down, but hey man, let's do a joint that sound like Prince sat down with Devante, man. Like, <laughs> and that's what, and we would, you know, sit down and just like explore, man, and just plug in, get on the instrument, and just see where we end up. A lot of times it was just that, you know, because a lot, a lot of times when we would work, me and Tim and me had to talk to each other. We just we on the, we on the instrument. Before you know it, oh, I got a hook. Oh, I got a verse. I don't even need to hear what he wrote. He don't need to hear what I wrote, as long as we know what the concept is. A lot of times we wrote without even talking about what we, okay, I'm saying this and I'm saying this and I'm saying, when I mean, you're talking about transitions, like from the verse into the bridge. Okay. We talked mm -hmm. about that to make sure the transitions lyrically work and melodically. Yes. But other than that, we really didn't talk. We didn't have to like, if you like, if you ever said in a session, you, you would know what I'm, what I'm saying, but yeah, man, the creativity would just flow, you know? And so, yeah. um, <laughs> Yeah. And then one of the records, one of the records, this was in the mid 2000s. I just want to highlight this one because this is a sleeper. People forget about this one. Brian McKnight's Again. That's such a sad song. Which one? Again. That was on the 10 album, the song Again. Is it, I'm, I'm just asking, is the lighting okay? Yeah, the lighting's good. Chart. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Um, you talking about the uh the used to be my girl? Oh, you talking about yeah, the that again? Oh yes. Oh yeah. man. Yeah. Man. Uh, <laughs> man. Hey man. Yeah. By the way, uh it's crazy because um 
man, you bringing up, you really bringing up songs. I'm like, dang, this is crazy. And it was cool working with with uh, Brian on yeah. that album too, man. We don't even have to talk about him, you know. We don't even have to talk about his genius mm -hmm. and yeah. I mean, unbelievable working with him. And yeah. you know, of course, obviously, like Tim working with him, like Tim worked on his last album. He did yeah. the last album, which was dope. I was just telling Tim how dope that album was. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. But yeah. Yeah. Man, you name you naming stuff, man. Wow. Hey, we're gonna <laughs> hey, like I said, a lot of people have already mentioned it. You guys need to do one of those producer battles at some point, and we'll talk about that in a bit. Just so <laughs> just so we can remind people of the hits. But uh this is actually a really interesting story. You've told this to me, but I don't know if everyone else has heard it, but the work that you guys did with Tank, this was like the late 2000s. Oh, yes. They're on YouTube, and those those records, I feel like you guys were on to something there. Man, it's crazy you brought that up because those are some of the craziest songs I think we've ever done. But okay. what happened, and this is what happened, man, because we, we were in the middle of Tank's project, there was another artist on Blackground that we were working on at the time called, um, it was a white artist that they had that was like, he was like, it wasn't a rock artist, but he was like a pop artist. And um, man, his name slips my mind, but they ended up letting him go. But we had did a, a half an album on that guy. And and we was in a groove. I mean, this is the crazy, and I'm just bringing this up just to give you context, but they had given us front ends already for, for Tank. They had paid us the front end money. We went in, the three of us, every day was like being, man, every day was just like, wow, leaving the studio like, wow, this dude is ridiculous. Next thing you know, Barry Hankerson just shut everything down. This, you know, wow. they, it was his label. <laughs> And uh, yeah, Jay Lewis. Somebody just said Jay Lewis. It was Jay Lewis. Um, but Barry Hankerson shut everything down. Like his son called us, Jomo called us like, yo man, so um, yeah, we're, we're gonna shut everything down. I was like, huh? <laughs> Come to find out he didn't want, he didn't want to do music no more. Mm. He's like, yeah, I wanna, I wanna go into the film business. And we like, and this is Barry was coming to the studio every other day, loving all the records. And then we we had been working on his projects, but we were like a month and a half, two months in straight, just working on their projects. Wow. And then one day he was like, oh, I'm, I'm done with the music business. <laughs> and we were like, what? Did you hear these songs? And we, we, we couldn't even, we, was done. we thought that, okay, Barry just had a bad week. Okay, next week he gonna call us back. Okay, all right. I, don't, I was tripping, man. I, let's let's get back to work. That's what we thought was gonna happen. You know, right? It was weird, man. It's a, man. We we couldn't even believe it. Tank was just surprised as we were. We was like, wow. We couldn't believe it, man. And so, um, so yeah, that was crazy. But now all those you know all those songs are on YouTube. Beautiful songs, man. Yeah. Crazy. Love it. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. It was crazy, but that's how it goes, man. Like, if you could hear a lot of this, just Bobby alone. Bobby right now could put out an unreleased EP of stuff that didn't go on his album that we did. People think he had a new album. 
tons of unreleased. I mean, a lot of them probably on YouTube now, but the point I'm making is, you know, that's, you just come to learn that it's, it's like that sometimes, man, you don't, don't become so attached because it might not come out. <laughs> that's the reality of it. You have to like do the record, love what you did and move on. Like mm -hmm. not, not be attached to it in that way. Cause you end up driving yourself crazy, man. And so, uh, yeah, man, it was that, that, those tank songs, was, those were special, man. Yeah. Lost <laughs> in you. Yep. Oh my goodness. Oof. It was, yeah. I gotta say it was magic in the studio every night working with tank man. the three of us working together. It was, it was magic, man. Gotta say. It was. Yep. And then the other song, uh, Do You Remember? That's a sad song as well. Oh. That, was a, that was a great song. Yeah, you bring it up all the joints, man. Do you remember? Mm. Hey, man. <laughs> all those joints, man. Like, I'm actually glad you said that. I'm going to make a playlist tonight, man. And then you're going to send it over to me and we'll have a party. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, so... You know, the years go by, uh, Tim starts working on some of his records, you start producing on your own as well, you mm. catch a hit with my man, by Tamar. Um, what was the difference working with Tim for all those years and then producing on your own, like from a creative standpoint for you? Well, you know, and it's, and it's crazy too, because um, we had worked together, man. We first started working together, I was 16. And I'm I'm 48 now. I was 17. So that's 30, over 30 years, man. And so um, it's crazy, man. It was it, it was cool and it's cool in a way, but it's, you definitely you definitely see where like honestly, like I see where I learned a lot from Tim. Mm -hmm. Or like, oh, you know what? Hold on, let me go back and do this because if if Tim was here right now, he'd be like, Robinson, don't play it like that. Play it like that. <laughs> so like little stuff like that, like you know, like because it was, it was, it'd be certain little things I might do in a track. And Tim like, nah, do it over, do it over. Yeah, man, because remember you, ah, because you got to do it right on time. Da -da 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 -da. Little bitty, you know, idiosyncrasies. And so, uh, so you think of you, you know, you think about that because you, you work with someone for nearly thirty years. And then you start, you know, you take your own creative paths. You know, you, you notice the difference. And so, but then you you notice other things too, like, wow, this is cool because me and Tim have never went here creatively. This is cool to do something a little different. You know, that right. kind of thing too. Um, you know, whether it was like with, with Tamar or like, because I did a couple indie films, scored a couple indie films that were like completely different path creatively than what yeah. I've been taking. And so um so it's it's cool to to explore creativity, man. That's that's why I think it's cool about now that we're working separately is um we get to explore those things. I'm sure there's a bunch of things Tim wanna do too or um different things creatively he wanna try, but he might have been like, you know what, now nah, this this different than the, the Tim and Bob sound or, you know, people yeah. expect a certain thing from us. You know, as some L.A. taught us a long time ago, he said, you know, the consumer will let you know what the consumer needs from you as a producer, what the consumer wants from you. And, like, it's so much wisdom in that, what he told us. And it's funny, because when I seen L.A., like, a couple of years ago, he was like, I told y'all that? He was like, man, I don't even remember telling y'all that. He said, I'm glad I did, though. I'm glad I did. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, he, 
but so so I think you know we both will, will sometimes work and be like okay yeah people would expect this as a Tim and Bob record okay let me do something a little different or whatever and so I think this is a cool time to explore do different things you know I've collaborated with a, a lot of younger guys coming up and you know I'm actually honored when the guy calls me yo man what's up OG it'd be an honor if you roll through tonight man come on Bob you know so that's cool too man and so um and, you know, I think sometimes a lot of marriages don't last half that long. You know, that's, mm -hmm. that's a long time to work with someone. That's a long time to have a friendship with someone, let alone work with someone. Yeah. And be creative and still maintain your own identity and all this. So it's, it, was, it was challenging for both of us, man. And I think, you know, for all intents and purposes, we might just got tired of each other. <laughs> I just got tired of each other. I, I say that like tongue in cheek, but you know, it's cool, man, to see uh, um, you know see what Tim is doing now with the label and everything. SRG and you know, um, he was just telling me some cool things coming up, some cool projects coming up that you know, who knows? We might we might surprise everybody and like reunite on a couple things here and there. And so, um, so yeah, we, we'll we'll see, man. But it's it's been cool to. Um, yeah, just kind of just have an open minded to working with certain artists that, you know, we usually wouldn't, people wouldn't expect us to work with or, or something like, a lot of, a lot of times I'll, I'll collaborate or work with a person that absolutely not even signed. Right. Just that the person had the, the courage to reach out to me and say, hey man, it'd be an honor if I work with you. And I said, hey, yeah, let's do this work. Huh? Really? Because that's happened a couple of times. Well, someone just randomly reached out, man, I would love to work with you, man. I said, okay, cool. No. Really? Are you serious? I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. And so, um, so yeah, man, it's um, it's been cool, man. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy, man. I'm happy where things are going. And, you know, it's good to, look, one thing that I will say is very cool and, and, and humbling is is, you know, so many people redoing your songs or including your songs in their songs. Mm, you know, yeah. we, we, we sign licenses probably every week for different songs out of our catalog that people are putting in their songs. And, you know, like for instance, the, um, the YFN, you know, um, you know, the joint with him and um, the Trey songs um, that had the missing you sample you know, that breathed a lot of life into into missing you. Um, you, know, you know what record I'm talking about, right? The white yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I can't make it. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, that breathed a lot of life into missing you. And so, um, and then, like, so into you, like, there's probably about four singles coming out that has so in, some part of so into you. Wow. <laughs> So that's like rewarding, man, and like, and and to think, like, wow, okay, we rode into Atlanta with less than a hundred bucks, man. In my little Cavalier, I didn't, I hadn't paid a car note in like six six months, man. They thought I had stole the car. <laughs> <laughs> they they thought I had stole the car, man. That's that's how the conditions that we were in when we met Dallas. It, it was crazy. Most people would have threw in the towel way before then. 
but we did it, man. We 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 stuck with it, man. And I'm I'm proud of what we did, man. I'm proud of what we did. Right. No, that's amazing. And like I said, can't wait to hear what you have coming up. If you and Tim work together again, magical. We can't wait for that. Right, right. Tim, I know he's trying to get on here. Tim, only two people can be on this at once, I think. So uh, we'll wait till uh, this is over and we'll try to figure out something with you. But, Bob, man, I can't wait until eventually at some point you guys get involved in that R&B battle so people can just see the history you know that what? you guys it's have. Somebody's supposed to be putting it together with us. I think they're trying yeah. to get us with the underdogs. I think that would yeah. be cool. That would be fun. Um, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens, man. And, uh, you know, I can't wait till tomorrow. You know, with Face and Teddy, Babyface and Teddy, so I'm definitely gonna be tuning into that. But man, yeah, man, I'm 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 just very blessed, man. And you know, like I said, I'm I'm very grateful for our journey and what we were able to do, and and that we never gave up, man. Because man, it was so much that we went through that people don't have a clue, man. Like nearly dying together a couple times, <laughs> car accidents. Yes, 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 man. Real stuff, man. And so. Many nights not eating in Detroit. It is, I could go on and on, you know. So right. <laughs> I'm, I'm very grateful, man, and you know, to for these songs to still resonate with people and people sampling the songs. And all that. I'm just, I'm just humbled, man, and and I, I thank God every day for it. I thank God every day for it, and so um, so yeah, man. I appreciate appreciate you um having me on here to chop it up a little bit. Thank you for having me, man. Absolutely, yeah. Had to go through memory lane and talk about all these records. And Bob, like I said, you got our support with whatever you got going on. You and Tim, you guys are family to us. So just keep us posted and we'll definitely feature it on the site. Absolutely, man. Congratulations to you guys, what you're doing with your platform as well too, man. Best wishes to you. Absolutely, all right. Man, take care. All right, peace, bro. Yep. Peace.